My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to the 200th episode of Legally Clueless. Like, how amazing is that? Thank you so much if you're a day one for staying with this podcast, growing with us and being part of the family. Truly appreciate you. And if you're just discovering us, man, welcome. You've got a lot of episodes to catch up on. (laughs) But welcome nonetheless. Remember, you can join our community officially just by going to LegallyCluelessAfrica.com. Once you're there, you sign up and you will be getting monthly letters from me and some of my favorite people, as well as a heads up on when our digital content workshops will be. The first one is coming up this month, actually, and when our wellness events are going to be. I'm really excited about our wellness events because my therapist and I are doing themed group sessions all year long for you, which is going to be so amazing. We were just talking about it. I don't know why I did that, but we were just talking about it yesterday and it's looking really good guys it's looking really good my aerial hoop instructor is already on board to do some group classes as well my friend who is a visual artist is going to do paint classes i have another friend who runs a african cosmetic business we're going to be doing some very awesome workshop like oh not forgetting our yoga yoga as well i'm can you tell i'm excited I am so excited. So make sure you sign up. Head over to LegallyCluelessAfrica.com. As you're doing that, this is what's coming up in this episode, part two of Dan's story. So when I was trying to leave, my mom followed me to the gate. I forcefully pushed the door open and my mom was holding on to the gate and she fell down. And my mom told the guys who work for her, hold him. And I picked up a stone and I told them, if you dare come close to me. And I was damn serious. If they did, I'd have knocked someone with a rock. So when I met my boss and he asked me the question again, Daniel, do you have a problem? I said, yes, I have a problem. He said, good, you have accepted. And he said, um, as a friend, I want you to go get help. As a director, we have to let you go. That's coming up in a bit. It will make no sense to you if you don't listen to part one. So I suggest you do if you haven't. And you can find part one of his story in episode 199. Okay, let's jump into the song of the week, which is a song, well, an artist I have been playing all day long. I had initially picked another song. And then while I was repeating this particular song, I was like, Kaya, why haven't I shared her music with you? <laughs> She's a Kenyan artist. Her name is Maya Amolo. I absolutely love her. Her music is so smooth and buttery and I actually was introduced to her by my stylist and friend Brian Babu. I'd gone for a styling session with him, a fitting actually. She was just leaving. We got introduced to each other, then Brian played me some of her music. I came home and checked out more of her music and I just fell in love. It's so beautiful. So the name of the song I want you to check out is called Fondry and it features Kalibwani and it's just... It's just amazing. I really like it. So check it out. Let me know what you think about it. As you're doing that, where this week? (laughs) I'm in such a good mood today, but this week started on a very weird footing. Like at a point I was getting quite concerned about myself. So a few days at the beginning of this week, I could not get out of bed. I had such a strange, heavy sadness and I was feeling so lethargic and nothing was exciting. I was struggling to make it to my office from my bedroom. I struggled to get 
a particular report done, to sift through some contract, like work that I knew I had to do and was excited about. I just couldn't get out of bed. I would find myself, I think the first two days I was showering at like 2 p.m. Just and and even that, I had to be like hyping myself in my mind, like, okay, we're going to get out of bed. We're going to get out of bed from like 7 a.m. And yeah, so it was really hectic. And I just kind of tried to first, obviously, extend grace to myself, practice some thought restructuring exercises. So whatever thoughts were coming in, I was just kind of like evaluating them immediately and restructuring them so I don't get further into a funk. I was which I'm very proud of, not missing meals and then just being very intentional of veggies and fruits and water. But it was it was very difficult. Those couple of days just got me thinking and it's some things, well, I think it's two things that I wanted to share with you. Honestly, the first is just like letting myself feel every emotion. I think I do a very good job of running away from heavy, dark, sad emotions and just wanting everything to be flowery all the time, which is not reality and it's not normal, actually. So I really started thinking about, you know, letting myself feel every emotion, but making sure that I'm not ruled by my emotion and just understanding that there's always something to learn. And in my case, I think what I learned is I had underestimated the sadness that comes with a changed life. Even when you change your life for the better, it means you've let go of certain people or certain things or certain rituals. And those things were quote unquote home for a long time. And I think I hadn't how do I say it? Like I hadn't, honestly, it's that I had underestimated the sadness that would come with. And I think it just kind of like hits me all at once. I mean, even when you're changing your life for the better, the past that you're letting go of had comforts, you know, they came with that homely feeling. And so I was, I was navigating that. The one thing that I, you know, was reminded about was one of my favorite poems and it's a poem by Rumi and the name of the poem is The Guest House. I absolutely love, love, love this poem. It's in one of my favorite Rumi poetry anthologies that smack on my coffee table because whenever I sit on my sofa, it's probably the first book that I grab and I just read it over and over. So I'm going to read you the poem actually. And okay, so this is how it goes. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house, empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. <gasps> I love this poem. I love it so much. I love it so much. I, I think I read it weekly. <laughs> I think I read it weekly. But honestly, it is true. You know, I like the bit where the bit that says he may be clearing you out for some new delights. Ah. <sighs> Treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. I love that. And yeah, so while I was thinking about that, I was just reminded of my favorite poem and just being like, mm, okay, time to tap into that and just welcome all these 
emotions. And then the second thing was making sure I don't shit on myself on the days I can't show up for work. You know, and just understanding that showing up for myself looks different every day and that's okay. So on some days it means I'm crushing my to-do list. I've done all the reports, all the production, all the contracts, all all of those things, you know. And on some days it means managing to get out of bed. On some days it means managing to take a shower. And none of these acts are more important than the other. They are all a representation of me showing up for myself. So on the days that it's managing to take a shower, I shouldn't shit on myself because I didn't manage to make it into the office. Because then that just starts this cycle. So instead of being like, okay, look, you know, there's improvement. We've managed to take a shower. I'm like, well, it's now 2 p.m. You've not sent even one email. You're really failing at this thing. And then it just kind of like spirals and spirals. So I just realized that it's okay if showing up for myself looks different every day and looks different from what you know society and the world deems as team grind always on my grind or you know what i mean yeah honestly i'm really beginning to see when i tell you guys grace grace is important it's important it's so important it's a gateway for so much okay so let's go into 100 african stories we're jumping into part two of danny's story and i am just forever indebted to him for opening up his socials his whatsapp for us for this legally clueless family to reach out to him if you need any help um so that's going to be coming up later in the episode but if you haven't listened to part one it's in episode 199 you should definitely start there but if you have at this point a doctor has first introduced to him the idea of going to rehab a hundred african stories on legally clueless stories from africa First, I have a family, I have to pay rent. How do I do that in rehab? And I get it now, I really do. And I, I really try and see how guys can get help without having to go into rehab because there's that. So she said, think about it this way. Do three months of this thing. Is, is, is so much little time as compared to what you're going to save. Made a lot of sense. But it didn't make sense to me in terms of how, who will take care of my family. So I was sort of ready to the idea, but my family was looking at the expense of rehab. Everything is about perspective, you know, the context it's put in. And that's why I try to tell families, like, listen, what is cheaper, funeral or rehab? Choose. <laughs> you know, you put it that way, somebody goes like, yo, okay, we'll find the money. <laughs> so Then the, my family started wondering, now who's going to foot this bill of rehab? So it was a back and forth. I, I, I feel I may have gone, but I wasn't ready then because my concerns were with my family. So that story slipped away. And when I went back to work on Monday because I'd missed work, my boss asked me, Daniel, do you have an alcohol problem? And I told him, no. He told me, okay. We're going to have that discussion three years later, 2018, two years later again. So when was I ready? Now, two years later, I had gotten a promotion at this company and then I'd finally taken leave. You know, as a salesperson, at times you don't know what leave is because you're always in the field. And when you, especially when you've been um, on commissions in the past. So now I finally started to enjoy leave. So I took leave in December and I went into another stupor. And you know, these stupors were never planned. It's just that if you over drink a little bit, tomorrow you'll wake up, you need another drink. Nothing else period. So I was in a stupor and my wife was concerned because we had just gotten my third born, my baby girl. She was concerned that Daniel might need to go to hospital late at night and I cannot handle this. So she told my mom, my mom said, tell him to come home. So my bro was around with his wife and family. So she lied to me and she told me that my mom is 
is being harassed. So I'm very protective about my mom. Since my dad passed, that was about five years ago. So I went home very high. And the thing about alcoholism, by the way, is that you don't feel the highness. When people look at you, they see you're drunk. You don't feel it. You feel like everything is normal. But you're literally drunk. You know, people look at you and tell you, hey, you've had a bit too many. You're like, no. But you have. You, you, can't, you can't tell. So when I went home, I don't remember what happened. I must have blacked out. And then in the morning, I woke up in the stupor. And of course, I needed a drink. I had a very bad withdrawal. That's what the stupor does. It gives you bad, heavy withdrawals. So you need to service that withdrawal with another drink. So I knew I'm like in a trap. How do I get out of this house? So when I was trying to leave, my mom followed me to the gate. And um, I forcefully pushed the door open. And my mom was holding on to the gate and she fell down. And I was in shock when I turned around. And I was like, what have I done? You know, you know, even I didn't know how much force I had used. It's like you're possessed, you know. Mm-hmm. And my mom told the guys who work for her, hold him. And I picked up a stone and I told them, if you dare come close to me. And I was damn serious. If they did, I'd have knocked someone with a rock. Because that time, you're having a bad withdrawal. So I left and I didn't even have cash. So I was probably going to try and beg somebody to buy me a drink. And I mean, those are, those are the levels alcohol can take you to. And you're begging them to buy you something that isn't enough. Even though they give you 200 shillings or 100 shillings, you still need more. So my bro followed me to the main road and he, he saw me and he was like, gosh, you know, because he could see I'd clenched my feet. Like if, you, if you, you come next to me as well, I'll swing at you. And he told me, what do you want? I told him, I want to go home. He told me, let's, let's take you home then. Okay. So they took me home. And I left the house. That time it was during COVID. Was it? COVID was slowly ending. And I, I didn't want to stay in the house because my kids were being tutored. And I didn't know what they had seen. That was the thing that used to make me feel bad. Because you don't know what they saw at night. So I went and I drank a little bit. My friend sent me some cash. And let me be honest. When you say people are enablers, I don't think people do it out like in a bad way. You know, They just hear you out. <laughs> and, and, and an alcoholic can really plead. They just hear you out. So I, at times when I hear, they say, I'm not going to enable you. I feel it's a very arrogant statement. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a better way of looking at it. So I was meant to go to work that following day, but I didn't go. And my boss was very angry because I was meant to be heading the sales team. I was head of sales. And he told me to go see him the following day. So I went and I chewed my normal mogoka to try and sober up. When I went to the office the following day, my, my sister told me, she used to be in HR. She told me, Dan, you've lost your job. You'll hear it officially. And I was like, what? My child is going to PP2. This other one is joining PP1. How? 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 And of course, you have memories of where you've come from. Houses being locked. Fights at home with the wife because you don't have money. Then you still, you know, it was bad. I already had enough of that. All the hospital bills that have been paid. I mean, all that, all the jobs that have been lost. It was, it, all that just started flashing in my mind. So, when I'm being told about rehab, I'm like, rehab sounds like a bad place. You know, it sounds like a place for crazy people. Because even when I told my Bible study leader that, do you think I need rehab? He said, no. But you see him, he doesn't see, he doesn't see what happens at night. So when I met my boss and he asked me the question again, Daniel, do you have a problem? He said, yes, I have a problem. He said, good, you have accepted. And he said, um, as a friend, I want you to go get help. As a director, we have to let you go. My heart sunk. I was like, what? For real? And then he said, but, and this is the part that changed my life. If you get help, three months, 
we will consider taking you back. I held on to that statement. Because, I mean, I'd lost so many jobs. There's another job I got, I lost it on the first day because I was sleeping. Imagine. There are so many jobs I had lost. So I was like, getting another job would be a challenge. So one thing I did know, I knew for sure, is that I have to deal with the addiction. And as I was walking to the road, because obviously I don't have a car, as I was walking to the road, I thought about, I had like an audit of how many things have been robbed from me through this thing. And I, I asked God, why have you given me such a heavy load? As in, what's wrong with me? As in, what, what's up with my system? Why, why do I have to be like this, you know? Because you don't know. So I met with my wife that evening as I was chewing again. Chewing was like my best friend. I used to find solace there. And I told her, babe, I need to do this rehab thing. I might get my job back. And she's, her, she's like, hmm, I don't know about your job. But we'll see. So she didn't want me to go to rehab for obvious reasons. But I insisted that it's important that I do it. And I was saying it as a theoretical, from a theoretical approach, because I didn't know what rehab is. I was still scared about the whole idea. So I consulted. I talked to a cousin who is a doctor, and her husband has dealt with such cases. And they told me, your body has developed a dependency, and rehab will help break that dependency, restore your normal functions. So I was like, oh, that's what rehab does. So I told my brother and my cousin, he's been a good friend as much as my cousin. He asked me a question and he had taken me to see a counselor once about the addiction. And he asked me a question, Daniel, why don't you just stop the drinking? Why don't you just stop it? Like, don't drink. I told him, I can't. I can't. When he heard me saying that, he knew, yes, he has surrendered. And he said he needs rehab, so there he was given advice of where I can go. But I said, let's go and see the rehab first. So we went and we sampled three, hub, three rehabs. One was like a jail. It's so wrong. How do you tell guys to strip? I, I think it's probably because of the cases they have seen. Because rehabs are allowed to take you in by force. Yeah. If your parents have, yes, the law. Allowed. I don't know if it has changed, but they can take you in. Yes. So I think they have seen extreme cases. But when I went to the rehab, Asumbi, I, I saw like a normal environment that I could work around. But one thing I was looking for, a gym. <laughs> what, what am I going to do in three months? I better build on myself. So Asumbi had a makeshift gym, which could work. And I was like, that's enough. So that's the point where I'd accepted I need help. Because there was, I was, it's, it's a junction. If I don't take this left, this other side is arguments with the wife. You will go worse into the addiction because first you don't have money. You've just gotten a baby girl. She's going to see all this. Your kids need school fees. They're going to be chased from school. Because, the, you know, I was seeing that very clearly. I was seeing my wife coming home angry. And me, I'm depressed and sick. You know, you're not eating because one thing it, alcohol does, that it corrodes your stomach so you have no appetite. So there's that. And then you're also depressed. That's just a remedy for disaster. There probably even have been violence, you know. Then there's the house. Then there's all that. And it's all because of an addiction. So I realized that this is my way out. I've been told I might get my job back. Let me try. I'd rather be in rehab. And my, my financial sense was the minimum I use per day is 1,000 shillings. That 1,000 shillings, if you accumulate it, it can pay rent. <laughs> yeah. It can pay rent. So you guys will be fine <laughs> without me. I'm an expense, by the way. Let me be in rehab. 
yeah so we we met a counselor who is my good friend up to this point and um he said there's something i will learn about addiction that would help me understand where i am and that should be that if people pay attention the problem is people get into rehab angry if you pay attention to that class you can actually put yourself in a, pl- a better place to you can set up yourself because the class is very important it teaches you a lot that helps you forgive yourself yeah because no one plans to be an addict we all went drinking my friend is a doctor why is in tindria why so what what's it about me you get so those are the things you get to learn when you go into rehab i mean i was very intentional when i went into rehab i was very intentional i was i was a unique uh, you should come in there even guys who came after used to think i was a counselor because i i said i'll dress up like i'm going to work because this class so you have breakfast then you have morning meditation you can go sit down and reflect and then there's class so for me i used to wake up shower and then i'd go read the bible do some devotion and i'd read a book and then i'd go for breakfast that was my and i always used to walk around with a bag you can still see i have the habit so you go for class introduction to alcoholism introduction to aa something like that so you get to understand what alcoholism is and allow me just to say one thing that i learned is that we were told alcoholics have something called an x factor not only alcoholics anybody i think we all have an x factor to something the thing is maybe you've not been exposed to it so the x factor makes you respond to alcohol differently and i think it's what triggers a surge in your dopamine than other people so you go overboard and you don't know when to have enough and then tomorrow the dopamine levels have gone a bit too low and you you look for that again and that's what forms the dependency so they said you have a gene that will never allow you to drink responsibly because it disrupts normal functions of the brain so your brain's normal functions have been disrupted and that's why you're sick ah <laughs> it's not me, it's not me. Yeah. you get like so that's a very important point mm-hmm. when somebody gets that so you now we we want to put you in a position where you can live a normal life because you're so ingrained into this drinking thing that you don't know what else is normal so at rehab you you're told to think about things you can do and i think the better the rehab the better the chance of you trying those things there like those rehabs have those facilities so you can start inside so i mean like asumbi they introduce football would go out but for me i already knew what i wanted <laughs> i just knew the gym is home it was home for me in usa it's going to be home for me now so class then after class in the afternoons we had um there's a there's a there's a class uh, i'll remember the name that sort of gives you basic skills and it's more engaging and then from three o'clock you're free the breakfast was okay tea bread lunch time uh starch greens maybe a bit of protein but dinner was good dinner was always either fish chicken because mm-hmm. what they're trying to do is to feed you well so once you've done the introduction then you start the 12 step program mm-hmm. now the 12 step program is um a program that helps you correct your spirituality and spirituality is actually your character you end up going in depth into the things you did wrong and try and make some of them right the ones that you can and it's it's also to expose you to a super being and one thing i loved about that is that anybody who has no background in religion can actually accept it and 
it is so related to the Bible, but the context is this day and age. So anybody can digest it easy. So yeah, those, those are the things that you do while you're there until the end is when you start writing a plan for when you leave, what next. But through that, even in the evenings, there's counseling, one-on-ones. Your counselor, you get to talk about things, you get to open up. And um, your family comes at a particular point. So the first month, there's no phone. It's just like that, no visits. You start getting visited after the first month. So they believe after the first month, at least you're stabilized, you're a bit sober, now you're good. So it depends with how badly off you are. I had a friend who came in straight from hospital. He had, his was chronic, so he needed to go and detox and come. For me, the medicine I used to get at the beginning was just to help me sleep. So they detox you first. And then now from there, they start trying. It's basically trying to take you to who you are before the addiction. After I hit the first session of gym, <laughs> I felt like I was back. Because one thing for me, I really used to, I, you know, there are different types of alcoholics. There is an alcoholic who could stay away from the drink. They call it binge alcoholics. Then when he drinks, he'll drink for, for five people. And then there was me who used to drink daily, but in small bits. I used to, because the alcohol used to affect me. So I never... I wasn't, like, I never had shakes. I saw other guys who used to drink daily, and I used to wonder how their bodies could do that. I mean, me, I couldn't, I'd have died. So for me, coming back to myself didn't take long, but through the whole journey, I had what they call euphoric recalls, where you'd remember the chewing, remember the, the smoking weed, remember, you'd remember those things, but we were told not to engage in those discussions because they're not healthy, mm-hmm. talking about the past, so... It was one thing I remember also asking a counselor is, are you serious that you're saying I will never drink again? As in, it's possible. He said it is. But you will realize towards the end because they, they do believe it's a spiritual assistance. You get some spiritual help. And the, these people who wrote the big book, the AA big book, acknowledge that there is a super being who can help you through this because most of the time all alcoholics have been beaten down by life yeah and that's the point where god actually wants you to be so you can you can acknowledge him if your life is all merry you don't need him (laughs) yeah so that was a good point for many people some people are still were still not sure some people were bought in or coerced some people came in high they were lied to they're coming to a hotel the guys who are stories were many and we used to laugh we used to laugh (laughs) Then you'd wake up and tell a guy, hey, dude, reality check, you're in rehab. But at least I thank God for me, I went in willingly because even before I went in, I didn't overdrink because I was scared of, uh, of bad withdrawals. I knew what that is. So I used to feel for guys who didn't know because the following day their withdrawal would be so bad, but they'd be giving medicine that would help. Yeah. So I think, as you were saying, after a few days of settling in, I was back to me. Yeah. And the exercise helped. Because, you know, it flashes out toxin. And then one thing is when I did my first few trainings, what I did in um, in two weeks would take me two months outside. So I was like, wait, so this thing has been stealing from me like this. It was a good comparison. So that's when I said, uh, we have to, we have to recover. And, you know, recovering is, 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 is there's no destination. It's a lifestyle. Um, we, we had several interactions with my kids and the rehab was courteous enough to notice that Dan is a serious guy with recovery and they even let me and my wife and family go out at times for like a function for something with the kids and my daughter would look at me like where have you been you know she was still like a baby so when I 
was leaving rehab, they allowed me even to take a cab. He said, Dan, you can go home. You don't have to be picked. And when I was in that cab, I was like, wow, hey, this is now reality. You know, rehab is not that, it's not that you're going back to who you used to be. You're going to a new life. So I, I was a bit scared in the taxi. I got home. And I remember when I left the house, I went to shave. And the, the person used to sell me the Mogoka saw me and he's like, hey, something different about you, of course. And he said, Utakam, will you come? And I laughed and I didn't, I didn't respond. And I went and I shaved. And that place where I was shaving, I always used to shave with a drink. But now I was drinking soda. Then I didn't even go to that guy to say hi. Just went straight home. And it was a nice evening. It was good to be back home. But it was still weird. It was still weird because you are back to a reality of here now you'd have a quarter to be drinking. So the following morning when I woke up, um, me and my wife got into an argument. That argument was trigger number one. So I called my counselor. My counselor was a person who used to exercise as, as well and fortunately he was at the gym so he told me come to the gym and immediately i exercised i realized this is a very good place to go and release steam so yes this this is what i should be doing as frequently as possible to help me put things into perspective so it was weird it was weird but one thing i got to as i told even some guys i saw at rehab when i went to visit i told them don't be too caught up in the struggle to stay sober be aware of the gift of sobriety like you can sleep, wake up, you can have tea, you can watch a movie, it's lunchtime, you can eat your ugali and whatever, and you can sit down. Normally by lunchtime I'm tensed up, I need a, some substance, something, what's the plan? But now I can chill. So I told them, be conscious of that, because it's very important. Yeah, Otherwise you'll miss, you, it'll be like an uphill task, trying to stay sober. No, no, no. Try and enjoy sobriety. Look at it the other way around. Enjoy the peace it brings with it. Enjoy the fact that you don't have to be thinking about where am I getting my next drink? Who am I going to... Who's going to enable me next? Who's going to do that? I'll say this for the sake of any person who is in recovery. The secret to not relapsing is sharing your story. Saying it. The closest I got to a lapse was, I think, on the second day or the third day I was at home. My friend had seen me. He had I was around and he was like, hey, Dan, he's around. And he was like, good. So that time there was curfew. So he texted me and he told me, hey, um, before curfew, I'm at a shop here. Uh, do you have anything you can top up? I bring a bottle of gin. I told him I don't have cash. I said, okay. Then he came and he texted me on WhatsApp and he said, I'm in the house. I have some gin. You can come with you. And I was carrying my daughter. I remember that incident because I was wondering, should I just go have a normal drink when you can have, can have a normal drink? And I took long. I don't know if he was watching because he could see type, stop typing, type, stop typing. Then I got the courage. Thank God I got the courage. I responded and I said, brother, I am a recovering alcoholic. I have a problem. And you may have noticed it. I had gone to rehab to get help. And he replied, okay. <laughs> That's it. So that, in the Bible context, the, the Bible normally says um, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That testimony does miracles. When you say it, many people keep it in. And I say there's a difference between saying, I stopped drinking and I'm in recovery. Stop drinking is, is glorify self. Recovery means you've, you surrendered. So I remember the following day going to their house, naively hoping to stumble across a drink. And the wife was there and she had heard the story. And she was like, hey, 
Dan, congratulations. I was worried for you. And then the husband called, Dan is around. I'm coming. Should I bring anything? She said, don't, both, don't dare bring anything here. She just gave me a two liter of Coke. <laughs> told me, drink as much soda as you want. And they didn't bring her. That was the closest I got to a lapse. But I thank God that the, the wife was there. You know, she, once she had that, she made sure nothing because these guys don't know. They think if you go to rehab, probably you've gone to learn to take it easy. And that's not the case. You've gone to quit. You've gone to surrender, you know, and, and try and cut. To, so you can have a better foundation out here to pick up and live a life without the drink. So that was the closest. And ever since then, I've had opportunities to share in taxis. It, it just comes out and I just say, I'm a recovering alcoholic. By then they go like, Really? And everybody gets so impressed by that honesty. For me, it's become so normal. So when I see people still getting impressed, I go like, wow, we are, we are that, we are that, we hide things mm. as humans. We hide so much. So this is, this is new. This is like light, you know. So that has really helped me. Even in some WhatsApp groups, when I, there's a time, a conversation of rehab and something came up and I said, there's nothing wrong with rehab. I was there. Because like, congratulations, you're so honest. Now, one day I saw a photo. I had taken a photo shoot with my wife, with my, it was my daughter's first birthday. And a photo came on my phone we had taken in the past. And I was in the same t-shirt and I could see the difference, could see the difference. So I, I did a collage photo and I shared it on Facebook. And I said, my name is Daniel and I'm a recovering alcoholic. And I put down a brief and slowly started introducing what I had gone through because people could see a change. And the first picture I put, the, the caption was, there is no chemical solution to a spiritual problem but there's a spiritual solution to a chemical problem. That introduced what the change is, and then later I was able to confess it on social media. So when you confess your problem, you put all the opportunities of lapses far away from you. The problem is that guys don't like to say it. For my kids, they, remember they used to always come and sit at the balcony. I've always loved my family, even through the addiction. That's why you'd find my schedule for chewing and drinking was not like the rest. I'd start chewing at 2 o'clock. People start chewing at... That time I never used to have like a permanent job. People would start chewing at 7. Me by 7, I've stopped. I want to go home and be with my wife. This is before we had kids. Because I enjoyed the conversation with her. Um, and sorry to say this, but um, at times uh, when, when you go lower in life, the people who you might start hanging around with are not, don't meet... <laughs> the sort of discussions you want to have. So I'd rather have it at home. So I always used to be at home, even when I'd drink. And um, my kids saw me when I was sick. I remember my firstborn coming and asking, Daddy, are you feeling better? Because I think he saw and he used to feel sad when he'd see me sick. They used to see me chew at the balcony and I used to hide the cigarettes and they'd come and take my groundnuts because I chew with groundnuts and they'd be like, Daddy, you're eating boga. Boga is now vegetables. They didn't know what that is. So there are instances, severally at home, when I'm talking to them about God and the Bible and living a good life, that I mention my past and I say, remember daddy used to drink some dawa? That dawa used to make daddy sick. But daddy had to change. And daddy went and got changed. And now daddy is like this. Because they can see daddy is different. And they are, and they tell him, daddy used to like to eat that. That boga was not good boga. But daddy stopped it because it was not good. So they already know there's something about that, that daddy stopped. And daddy went and daddy came back and daddy came back strong. And daddy likes the gym. So I normally go with them to the gym on Saturdays. So they're always like, because of my second, my second one is always, daddy, are you going to the gym? Please take me to the gym. And I'm, I'm so excited because at the gym I see two friends, brothers, that's a four, two, two. And they 
have the same habit, exercising all the time, and they're looking good, you know, they come together after work, they exercise. And I'm like, wow, this, this, is, this is what I want for my kids. Because at times when you see some, I've seen children who are so engaged in sports, they have a balance in life. You have no time for excessive partying. You're really tired. You know, your goal is to do better at basketball or do this or reach this. So I want the same for them. So I, I really have that open discussion with them. I really practice being vulnerable with them at this point because there's no, that thing of saying when I'm ready, is there really a time? You start now with whatever you can so they know. So one day I'll introduce the word alcohol instead of that dower, you know. They'll be like, okay, this alcohol is not good. And this alcohol, if you guys ever partake of it, one of you may become like this. So be aware. And these are the conversations that I want to have with guys in uni. Like, yo, you guys are going to drink, some of you. I'm all, going, I'm all here to tell you not to drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's entirely up to you. If, you. if you feel like you could do it responsibly, just be aware that an alcoholic does not know who is, is an alcoholic until exposed to the alcohol. Some of you don't know how you react to marijuana until you're exposed to it. Because some guys were in rehab for marijuana, others for cut, others for different things. So there's that. So if you find that this is going overboard, know your body is rejecting it. The earlier you stop, the better. No one came and talked about this when we were in uni. Or if they did, I didn't hear. <laughs> I mean, you'd hear there's something going on in the auditorium, and you're like, ah. But anyway, so that's for, for my kids. Helping guys, my vision is by the time I'm 40, I want to own my time and sort of have, because what I'm doing right now is sort of de- de- developing a formula. Since high school, since primary, since since my estates, everybody knew me. I could influence even a lingo, a language, the way. If you go to a particular place and you say, Dan, Dan, who they say our next name? They go, like, ah, yeah. So even from St. Mary's to Hospital Hill to all the schools I went to, there was some influence I had. And I feel like I can influence guys into doing the right thing. Like, Well, I'd probably address men because I'm a man. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, there's a question I asked you. When you ask somebody what they write down as their hobbies when they are 16 and when they are 30, what has changed? And let's not say it's age, it's habits. And guys need to bring back habits that bring wellness because that's what I'm trying to advocate for, wellness, exercise, you know, healthy friendships. Are you talking, do you have, that's one thing that I also added. I was very intentional about looking for spiritual groups where we could discuss even things to do with pornography and masturbation. And uh, I did even a class and from that class, it was called Powerhouse. And from that class, uh, I was able to meet other guys who are open. And I mean, if you have that foundation of that being open there, you, you can be great friends. What more do you have to hide? And now you can be accountable. S- some of the things that I'm trying to s- set, you know, promote a sort of movement, mm-hmm. I like, I'd like to call it demon wellness, mm-hmm. sort of movement around it. Because I've found, my friend told me, Daniel, you have a formula. That formula is what you need to show guys. And the good thing, it's, it's not a formula that you went and researched you have experience and you it has helped you leave something that is very hard very very hard so yeah that's why i'm sharing my story as boldly as possible each time you say something you never know the life you have helped that's why today i was telling i was so angry i was telling my wife hurry up i have to go record this thing at adele's i have to because more importantly it's i get to meet you again and say hi and then um we never know the impact of this some some of the returns you don't you, it's not for you to see, but it'll help someone. From the recent case, um, I've been trying to help a friend who 
I used to stay with. As I mentioned yesterday, I went yesterday. I went to Nakuru remand prison because he's he had to be put there because he was going haywire, and I had a discussion with him. But the most important thing that I when I was talking to the parents, I told the parents one thing, and I said I understand. You know, we are busy blaming him, but we are missing the point. The problem is not him. The problem is the addiction. No one ever wants to be an addict. We try things out of fun and we don't realize that these things are harmful to us and we can easily get into dependency or into some vicious cycles. So let us always try to identify the problem. The problem is the addiction, not the addict. If you focus on the addiction, you will help the guy. It is not easy. It's a journey. It's a journey. Don't give help and expect results just give help trust you me it has taken my mom many prayers hope praying my dad told me once i hope you have an encounter with god because he couldn't understand how i'd leave hospital and the next encounter i'm with beers he didn't understand and many people don't understand that this is not an intentional endeavor no one gets into an alcoholism we don't we find ourselves there so always learn to love the person as they are get professional advice on how you can help the person and then be patient with that person. The more love you give somebody eventually will open up to getting help. The more love you give. So let's focus on the problem which is the addiction. And when you know more about this, share more about it. Let's share this information out there because I've seen many people die and those guys didn't have to die. A friend told me you are who you are because of your support system. Check yourself as a support system. Correct yourself when you go wrong. There are times you'll get angry at the person but forgive them. They are going through a tougher time than you are. Yeah, They are the ones who are not going to work. They are the ones who are sick. They are the ones who are not moving forward in their life. And the one, they are the ones who have to deal with the hardest thing in sobriety, regret. That's a reality. Every day we have to wake up and deal with that reality that we might have wasted time. If you have a spiritual foundation, you know that God is the owner of time and he could switch things around for you. But more importantly, let's just be a bit more understanding and let's just help these guys. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. Man, Danny's story is just so inspiring. And I just can't get over how incredibly committed he is to spreading awareness on addiction and recovery. So here's how you can reach him. Very simple. I'll put it this way. There, there, there are no hashtags. You what, what. It's, it's a simple. If you look for Daniel Orenge on Facebook, Daniel Orenge on Instagram, Daniel Orenge on YouTube you will definitely find me. And I have no, I, I, I feel I don't need to hide my number. I mean, if, if you want to reach out to me on WhatsApp, I mean, on all those, there's, there's all, you can always message, message me and I, I always respond. There are many people who have res- sent me messages when they check my videos and they're getting help. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I thank God for that. So, of course, my number is 073366. 8817. That one you will get me on WhatsApp. And there are links to all of his social media platforms in the show notes. So you can just click on those links. And if you need to, feel free to DM him. And just based on his story, this week I asked people on my Instagram if they were trying to reduce their alcohol intake and how it was going. And, you know, I did it as a poll and many voted, well, majority actually voted that they were trying to do this but we're failing I think I'm actually making progress so while talking about it on Instagram I just realized that there is a major shift as to 
have approached it and probably that's why I'm making progress you know so first I don't think I've ever had an alcohol problem I've always been hyper aware with alcohol because my dad was an alcoholic I believe but I know I've had some wild nights of drinking more than I needed to yet if I think about it I could have still had a great wild brilliant night without the alcohol but hey here we are but the reason I think I'm succeeding now in reducing how much alcohol I take is because for the first time I have a tangible reason so before it used to be because of the hangovers (laughs) you wake up and your head is splitting you're just like I'm done you know what I mean and that has changed because now it's a vow I've made to myself that everything I do, everything I put into my body, every space I put myself in, every thought I have, every person I let into my space has to be in service of my higher self. And this is mentally, emotionally, and physically too. And I've just got to be intentional about this vow. And while I still like my red wine, I think I just recently discovered a particular red wine from Zimbabwe, if I'm not wrong, that I absolutely enjoy. I sometimes like my whiskey. I do like the playfulness of cocktails. But I just know that because too much of it isn't in service to my higher self, I don't overdo it. And I don't, I don't feel the need to do it. You know, it doesn't have to be part of a dinner plan or whatever, unless I really want that taste, you know. And as much as it's a work in progress, I am finding it easier because there is a concrete reason. So I think this is probably the first New Year's in a long time. I did not count down with alcohol and just like wake up with a hangover. It's pretty fresh on the first day of the year as much as I stayed in bed, but... (laughs) I definitely was not hangover, you know? And I think, yeah, I'm finding it easy because there's a concrete reason that I can clearly see serves me. Maybe it's age and just being a bit wiser that's helped me acknowledge that. I do not know, but I know the reason being concrete and tangible has really helped me. You know, it reminds me of my uncle who's a banker. He once told me that, and this was a time I was having a hard time saving any money. <laughs> and he once told me that perhaps I was having a hard time saving money because I didn't have a reason. And just saving for savings sake just wasn't it. You know, he said, give yourself a good reason or a goal and it becomes easier. And it did because then it even made me start trying to figure out where is the best place to save money. It's not just like sticking it in any bank account and You know what I mean? So I I think, at least for me, I mean, I don't have all the answers, but having a really concrete reason and just making this vow to myself, I can see small ways in which it's, it's helping me. Anyway, I can ramble on forever, but this episode needs to end. But before it does, remember to sign up and join our community. Just go to legallycluelessafrica.com. And this podcast plays on Trace FM here in Kenya. You can catch us there on Monday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. and 11 p.m. Fridays at 1 p.m. Head over to traceradio.co.ke for a list of all the frequencies or to stream Trace there. I'm going to leave you with two things. Number one, definitely wishing you nothing but grace. And number two, this is a story that's coming up in episode 201. So he told me that... A governor saw your tweet about you wanting to paint Textelcom's house and he's interested in making that happen. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.